refugees have far more to teach us than we have to teach them. We have so much more to learn and gain. The cultural enrichment that comes through those relationships, the value of the lessons that they have learned along life's journey that they have traveled. They're incredible people. Each one of them has, has a name. Each refugee has a story. And I know that I personally have been so blessed by growing and learning and being challenged uh, to grow in my faith by, you know, seeing their faith and uh, learning from their experiences. You're listening to Season 2 of Seeking Refuge, a podcast about the human story behind refugees. Your host for this week is Tyler Jackson. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, what you do? And mm-hmm. Sure. Well, first, thanks for uh, helping us spread the word about the importance of refugee ministry. My name's Trent Deloach. I serve as lead pastor at Clarkston International Bible Church and then also serve as a missionary with Send Relief and have been working with refugees now close to 15 years. And a majority of my focus has been trying to connect local churches with opportunities to reach out and love refugees as they come into our country. And so Clarkson International uh, Bible Church, um, can you talk to us about the population that it serves? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've been serving as lead pastor here at the church for a little over four years. And the Clarkson International Bible Church, just to give a little bit of history, mm-hmm. uh, was founded back in 1883 as Clarkston Baptist Church and um, was a you know, medium-sized Southern Baptist church. But then as a lot of the refugees and immigrants came into our community in the late 70s, early 80s, and especially the early 90s when the numbers increased significantly. A lot of people that made up Clarkson Baptist Church for various reasons left, mostly just due to racial discrimination, racial hatred. It was really heartbreaking. But through the struggle of trying to figure out how to survive, that's what gave birth to Clarkston International Bible Church. And uh, we've been uh, established since 2004, and it came about by the remnants of Clarkston Baptist Church merging with an Asian church and an African church so that we could better reflect the diversity of our neighborhood. And um, to this day, you know, we are still about one-third American, one-third Asian, one-third African in our ethnic makeup. And any given Sunday, probably 12 to 15 different nationalities. Uh, there's no clear ethnic majority. We're a church of minorities. And uh, we do have a, a large Filipino uh, contingency. But then, you know, folks from Ethiopia and Burma, Nepal, uh, Sudan, uh, Nigeria uh, could go like on and on and on. And it's, 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 it's really neat make up a people that typically, you know, outside of a community like Clarkston, you, you wouldn't normally see these levels of diversity in your typical Southern Baptist church. Uh, we love it. We embrace it. And uh, one of the reasons why we are as diverse as we are is surrounding us is the community of Clarkston. And so Clarkston, as I'm sure many people know, one of the most ethnically diverse square miles uh, in North America. Uh, you hear different numbers, different statistics, but uh, the ones that I share, there's at least people from 60 plus different countries, mm-hmm. uh, speaking well over 100 different languages. And then we've counted upwards to 120 distinct ethnicities uh, represented in the one square mile that makes up the city of Clarkston. And so talking about that diversity, which 
um, I know brings a lot of benefits to the church as well. How do you overcome the logistical challenges that might arise with different language barriers and cultural barriers? What does worship on Sunday look like? So for us, we, we choose to do everything in English, and uh, we've tried a lot of different approaches, be it live translation or the earpiece technology, and all of those kind of have their advantages and disadvantages. And where we're at, we, we do everything in English, but as I preach, I'm always aware to don't go too fast. <laughs> explain words that may be common to us, but foreign to others. And just be sensitive that at any given time in our church, we normally average a little over 150 people a Sunday. You know, there could be 10, 15 folks that are learning to speak English and you need to take them into consideration. But one of the most strategic things we do to overcome some of the complexities of our diverse community is we share space with four other churches every single Sunday. And so if you're new to our country and you speak Arabic, we would encourage you to go to our Sudanese Christian mission. And then obviously, if you're from Nepal, Atlanta, Nepali, uh, if you speak Urdu or Hindi, uh, Vertical Life Asian Church is uh, everything's a mixture of Urdu, mostly Urdu, but then some Hindi. And then if you're from basically Central East African countries and Swahili may be your heart language, we have the Swahili Refugee uh, Evangelical Fellowship. And so by sharing space, we're able to have the gospel preached in four or five different languages and have these safe places where people that are new to our country learning English still be able to worship in their heart language. The other cool thing is that that's this... That's just what happens on our campus. In, in the past, we've helped start a Liberian church, a couple different Burmese churches, uh, Ethiopian churches, and we're still close friends with those leaders. And so as we do ministry out in Clarkston, as we meet people, we, we are typically pretty good friends with a church plant that we've either helped start or one that we're just friends with. And we're pretty pragmatic. We want people to hear the gospel and have the opportunity to grow in Christ by... Um, in their heart language, you know, the language that they're most familiar with, or at least, you know, the, a trade language that they're very fluent in. And we just try to make that possible uh, any way that we can. And so are those services held concurrent uh, with each other? They're staggered throughout the course of the okay. day. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so it's, it's we, we've got really three different environments inside of our facility where churches can worship. And so they're staggered in the, the different rooms and at different times. And... In the past, we've even had churches worshiping on Saturdays, and oh, so wow. we, we, we try to be pretty creative. Uh, you talked a little bit about the linguistic barriers and how, you know, you work with multiple churches to mm -hmm. sort of help overcome that. How do you think CIBC, Clarkson International Bible Church, goes about creating a sense of community and togetherness when you have so many different people from so many different ethnic backgrounds and cultural backgrounds? Sure. So... When people ask, uh, just simply put, what's our strategy, you know, as we're trying to be a healthy church? Well, we want to be a place where people can come and find help. And we do that multiple different uh, ministry initiatives with English as a second language, citizenship, we have artisan groups, we do job training. And by being a place where people can come and find help, um, that 
that gives us the opportunity to get to know their name, build a relationship. And then we say, as people come and find help, we want them to have the opportunity to learn about the hope we have in Christ. Now, we will love and serve every different religious background imaginable. And we have a lot of friends, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, atheist. We respect their religious backgrounds. And at the same time, we're trying to be very clear and open with what is uh, motivating us and uh, what's most true of us. And we've learned that oftentimes our relationships begin with people that they just need help. And then we want to share the hope with Christ with no strings attached. We continue to love and serve irregardless of what they do uh, with the gospel and how they respond. But then that, that third level in our strategy is home. So we do want no matter where you come realizing that many of them have had to flee their original homelands and that they are some, they're displaced, somewhat detached and they're starting life all over. And so we want, do want to cultivate the place where they belong and they're welcome. We, we, we desire to be in these cross-cultural relationships and we open up our homes and uh, we go into their homes and their children participate obviously in all of our children's programs. And, we want to make sure that we, we learn their stories and and genuinely care. And then I think there's probably a million other things we could be doing to help that feeling of belonging grow deeper and, and go further. And so that's going to be an area where I don't think we ever truly arrive, but we just keep striving towards this, this, this vision of what we say here is we have this family of churches and a family of ministries made up of people from every corner of the globe um, with a common goal to, to worship God um, by making disciples locally and globally. And that love of Jesus is, is what drives us and gives us hope that one day, you know, standing before the throne, every tongue and tribe worshiping Jesus forever. I think in that moment, we will have fully arrived, <laughs> you know, that place of belonging. Uh, but between now and then, uh, we just pray that by God's grace, he helps us to do what we can to create that sense of a safe place where you're welcome. You talked a little bit about the uh, services that CIBC provides within the community mm-hmm. um, to migrants and refugees. Could you sure. go on a little bit about that and cite some of the specific programs and mm-hmm. ways that they help? Absolutely. Uh, we'll start with our after-school programs. Uh, we partner with an organization called Family Heritage Foundation. They run an after-school program for elementary and middle school students, probably average around 45, 50 children, uh, Monday through Thursday, and then do a lot of outreach to their families as well during um, you know monthly distributions or uh, other efforts. Then CIBC runs a high school after-school program. And what a lot of people don't realize is refugees tend to be placed into their grade based off of their age, not their academic ability. And for various reasons of differences and just educational standards, different countries, um, there's a lot of need for tutoring and literacy and just helping um, children get ahead. So we really try to press in. We, we, we have a huge value placed on education. And so those are after school programs. Now, during the summer, we do a program called Camp Encounter. Camp Encounter is basically a day camp for seven weeks out of the summer um, from nine to three. And we average around 150 campers. And um, through the course of the summer, we'll see over 350 kids because some kids come some weeks, but not others. And they do a combination of art education, academics, mostly literacy, but then athletics and sports. Uh, It's a lot of fun. Uh, A lot of Bible teaching takes place as well. And Again, Camp Encounter is a very affordable option for children who otherwise would just be kind of sitting at home bored or roaming the streets during the summer. 
And so Camp Encounter is one of our ministries. Then we have an artisan group called the Refugee Sewing Society, uh, give or take around 30, 35 ladies, mo- mostly like, you know, se- senior citizens. It's, it's, it's folks that can't work 10 hours a day at a factory, but they can come and they sew, they create beautiful items, sell them uh, either online or at various uh, artisan markets and support their family with income. But the ladies would tell you, they probably come for the relationship more than the economic benefit. But the Refugee Sewing Society just does incredible work and seeing the community amongst the ladies that come from six or seven different countries. It's then there's a, a couple like smaller ministries like Home Sweet Home. It's a furniture distribution ministry. Uh, we used to have warehouse space. Now we don't. And so what we have to do is take a donation. And then we have like a, just a list of families that we know who are in need of particular items. And so we just take an item that's being donated directly to the family that's in need. And it's a tangible way to show love um, to some of our neighbors through Home Sweet Home. We have a bread ministry uh, every Wednesday. Uh, bless around 40 plus families with free bread. Uh, it's bread that Publix otherwise couldn't sell, but uh, we have our ESL and citizenship classes. Uh, exciting. This past Wednesday, we just had eight new students that we didn't know were coming, but we're really happy they did. And so it, it's free and it's, it's survival English, but also somewhat geared toward um, helping them be uh, job ready. And so, and then the citizenship class is just preparing them for, for the test. Um, this past semester, we had five of our students actually pass the citizenship test, and that's always an exciting time. And so... And then at the end of the day, I mean, there's there's just a lot of also just organic outreach out into the neighborhood. There's people that were doing in-home tutoring, uh, almost like in-home visits as well, just checking in on folks. Um, I've spent a lot of time this week uh, helping one of our members through some immigration issues. Um, and so like immigrant legal support is, is something that we do as needed, and it's needed a lot. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a flavor. Um, in the future, when we're post-construction, we definitely want to see our uh, ESL and citizenship classes expand. Uh, we'd like to see our job training and job development expand. Uh, we're looking to add on more counseling services, especially trauma counseling. And then we're really excited about a medical clinic with a group of doctors called Ethne Health that um, will help expand the, the medical ministry opportunities we have here in Clarkston. Which is So you said that there were still, even though that Clarkston here because of its mm-hmm. huge refugee population there's there are a lot of options there are a lot of services that are provided where are some of the areas that you think um, mm-hmm. needs are still are sure. there and and need to be met in the future uh, mental illness is huge you know and just coming alongside special needs and it's hard you know but it's it, it's a it's a huge need you know in our community and it tends to be hidden you know uh, also trauma counseling is is huge you know we're connected to a few trauma counselors but again many would argue that you know perhaps not every single refugee but a significant part of them could could easily you know be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress syndrome or at least have suffered through and gone through things that most Americans just can't imagine. So the needs for uh, safe places for trauma counseling and helping people process what they've been through, you know, or some, some of the gaps we continue to respond to. And I would say some of the specialized medical, um, so general practice things are kind of easy, easy to find, but when it comes to specialized needs, it gets a little bit more difficult to find providers, uh, to help. And so, um, I would say, just trying to think of other gaps that we would say are like huge needs. I mean, even though there's a lot 
offered when it comes to like education, especially with children and after school programs, the needs there are just so high. And uh, I was talking with a friend and they were saying how hard it is to get children into like a pre-K program. And so you could double the pre-K programs in Clarkston and there's still going to be a waiting list, you know, of trying to do early education, especially with the, the, the younger and uh, get them a head start, if you will, before, prior to going into school. It's really incredible to see the importance that centers of faith, such as CIBC, mm-hmm. um, how important they are to the resettlement process. Without without them, um, you know, would the state fill that void at all? Or no, and not even the. We love our relocation agencies. They work so hard and um, provide really good ministry. But right, right now, relocation numbers are really, really down. The, the ceiling for refugees is currently set at 18,000, which is just incredibly low compared to the, the normal averages. So under normal circumstances, you know, it, I, I saw from firsthand how the relocation agencies, they needed churches, uh, mosques, synagogues to, to come to the table to help, you know. And even with our, our lower numbers, uh, they still need places of worship to, to step up. And uh, again, oftentimes when w- with the initial stages of relocation, just getting people a home, a job, uh, into school, um, one of the, the things that's missing in that equation is they need a friend, <laughs> you know, and someone that can just know them, love them, and uh, help them as they navigate, and then still stumble upon things in our culture that are incredibly confusing. And so that's where uh, places of worship, especially churches, um, can come alongside and provide that friendship that makes navigating our culture so much easier. And, and for whatever it's worth, any American that has ever went, been overseas in an environment where uh, the community doesn't speak English, and then you find that one friend <laughs> that does speak English and how you kind of like latch on to them, every one of our new international neighbors needs friends that can help them in that way and be a cultural guide for them. So it's pretty huge. What are some of the biggest cultural barriers that you see and or challenges that, that newly arrived refugees face? I think one of the first shocks is how expensive our culture is. You know, um, I think a lot of people think from a distance, man, America, the land of prosperity, money grows on trees, you know, streets paved with gold. None of that. We are a country of prosperity, but it's hard. It's expensive. Um, you know, when you are having to pay eight, nine hundred, upwards to a thousand dollars a month for an apartment and uh, minimum wage jobs. You're barely bringing in over a thousand dollars a month for a forty-hour work week, and so some of those barriers are getting not just any job, but a livable wage job, so that you can afford what it costs to to live well here in our country. And then healthcare is still huge. You know, um, if you don't have a job that provides benefits, paying out of pocket is still a pretty pretty steep climb. Uh, of course, government subsidized healthcare has helped in that regard, but you also run into uh, situations where there just needs to be some basic education. Um, like refugees don't need to go to the emergency room for every single, you know, uh, tiny sickness. Um, but then sometimes due to their lack of trust, you know, or just lack of knowledge of how to navigate the medical, there's times when no, you really need to go to the hospital right now. And, but for various reasons, they don't, where you need to say, no, 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 in this instance, you will not be denied service. You need to go to the hospital and have this dealt with. So healthcare is pretty huge. And I mean, gosh, health, our healthcare industry is crazy confusing for Americans who speak English. Um, so you can imagine how challenging it is for refugees to navigate the bills, the, 
even finding and locating some of the doctors. Um, and so navigating that's pr- pretty hard. Other cultural challenges is, you know, a great book, Foreign to Familiar, <laughs> you know, pretty short read, helps you understand how different cultures approach time differently. We are pretty much a time bound culture. You know, if your job starts at 9 a.m., your employer expects you to be there at 9 a.m. And you're just helping them navigate things that are true in our culture that they have to adapt to. There's not a lot of wiggle room and that, that can be hard for some. And so some of it is, and then what just knowledgeable of what's, what's normal, you know, in American culture. Um, and just how, how to see them adapt well with increasing levels of confidence. Uh, obviously language is huge in this. Uh, what we see is the children and the youth, they learn English pretty fast because they're in the uh, school systems. Uh, the parents, it's always a mixed bag, but uh, talk about, I mean, culture and language are so intricately connected that it's kind of like you need to do whatever it takes to come alongside and help them learn English at a, a level of fluency where they'll have better options moving forward with job, career, and just understanding what's happening around them. And it's always a little heartbreaking when you meet some of the senior citizens that have been here for 10, 12, 15 years and still don't speak English and will probably never speak English. Um, it's hard. They still make it because their um, children translate for them. But uh, language is huge. I wanted to also ask you, what are the biggest challenges um, going forward that CBC has encountered in attempting to serve refugee populations, whether that be from state sure. or funding? Or um, I mean, money is always a challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our dreams far exceed our resources. Uh, you can't pay everybody to do to do everything that you would want to see done, and so there is a constant struggle. I think our what, what we have just been doing in the past is you just do more with less. You do the absolute best you can with whatever resources you have. Try not to allow a lack of resources to limit your attempt <laughs> to do good and meet a need. And obviously we pray a lot and trust God. And then in our instance, we, we rely quite a bit on outside partners, you know, that are able to come alongside and help us do far more than we could ever do on our own. And so that, that's one of the, the obstacles that we face. Um, but every nonprofit, every church, <laughs> you know, faces that to a degree. It's just true for us as well. And what I tell people from, from the perspective of the church, uh, one, a lot of our refugee community are pretty transient as they get jobs. Um, they move to nicer areas of the city that have better schools. Um, and so... And then those that perhaps stay, you know, oftentimes what resources they have, they will send a good bit of it back home to support family that didn't escape. And so when you're a church dependent on the tithes of your people, you can see how that makes it difficult. But I don't blame them. And in their shoes, I would be doing that exact same thing. So we just have to get creative. Um, Almost everyone on our staff here at the church are bivocational. They either have another job or uh, they raise support. Uh, I'm bivocational, (laughs) you know. And so, again, you just kind of do whatever it takes. Um, The other thing that's pretty challenging, there is fatigue, you know, involved in the type of work that we do cross crossing cultures, dealing with people that have suffered um, just tremendous trauma in their lives, Uh, those that come in initially that have a lot of needs, and you have to be able to step back and uh, take a breather and uh, rest, unplug, get out of the city, breathe. Um, You see a lot of burnout uh, in Clarkston of people that, for various reasons, are not able to set clear boundaries. 
And that's always sad, you know? And so we try to do a good job making sure that if you're serving and you're tired, take a break. <laughs> so compassion fatigue's a, a pretty big challenge. At the end of the day, uh, the last challenge I'll mention, and it's just heartbreaking. The topic of refugees has been politicized. This is not a Democrat or a Republican issue. It is a humanity issue. It is beyond frustrating to see immigration being under attack the way it currently is and refugees being caught in the crossfire. There's so much misinformation. You know, we don't want those illegal refugees. Well, any refugee who's come through the process of the United Nation High Commission and has worked through our five different levels of government bureaucracy to be approved, you know, in terms of the security and vetting process, they're welcomed into our country. They're given a residency card upon arrival. There literally is no such thing as an illegal refugee. <laughs> And so it's, you know, obviously as a pastor and as a Christian follower of Jesus, I, I literally can't wrap my head around some of the antagonistic and hostile attitudes that are prevalent even within the church toward refugees. And um, that's why we do what we do. And we travel and we speak and we have mission teams come and we try to tell a better story, open up God's word and see how we're commanded to love all people. And, but man, it's hard. It's just really hard fighting for something that you think should be common sense, that we should love refugees and welcome them into our country. So it I sounds, stop. So, <laughs> Sorry. So it sounds like education, not only of, of yeah. the refugees themselves, but also of congregations yeah. about refugees is also Absolutely. important. Yeah, congregations, normal people, um, all people. Uh, I mean, once our, our country was known, and, and, and just historically, we are known. I mean, you go to the Statue of Liberty, read the poem at the bottom, that we have been known to, to accept and take in the world's downtrodden and, and those in need. Um, that's, you know, a, a good bit of our past, you know. And um, our past is not perfect. Uh, I know <laughs> we've made ample mistakes as a country and as a nation, but we should be known as one of the most compassionate countries toward refugees and immigrants and vulnerable populations. I think God has blessed us with the level of prosperity that he has so that we could <laughs> be there for those that are in tremendous need. Now, I do not argue for open borders. I do think there needs to be a structured in place and security mechanisms in place place, but you can do those things and have comp incredible compassion and generosity toward refugee resettlement. I was curious, what, what do you think is the biggest thing that you've learned in your time working with refugees? And this can be about sure. people in general, this can be about refugees, Absolutely. anything. Absolutely. I mean, just the, my, my, my first response to that was refugees have far more to teach us than we have to teach them. We have so much more to learn and gain. The cultural enrichment that comes through those relationships, the value of the lessons that they have learned along life's journey that they have traveled. They're incredible people. Each one of them have, has a name. Each refugee has a story. And I know that I personally have been so, so blessed by growing and learning and being challenged uh, to grow in my faith by, you know, seeing their faith and uh, learning from their experiences. And so I just wish that when we look at this refugee resettlement and the opportunity to love those from other countries, it's, it's not just a one-way street of everything we can do for them and how much they need us. I would argue it is a two-way street and we need them definitely as much as they need us 
And I wish we looked at it as more the, the, the opportunity for a, a mutual relationship of love, of service, of respect. Um, and so that's one of the things that I've, I've learned and try to share frequently with others to, to value the privilege we have to build relationships with our refugee neighbors, no matter where they may be from or what they have encountered. And I know I said last question, um, but just to follow up on that, what should people that, you know, may have never encountered a refugee before or, or, mm-hmm. or known someone or spoken to someone that, that mm-hmm. was a refugee or is, what should they do to start learning more about refugees or interacting with those or supporting them in the community or mm-hmm. um, what kind of steps can someone, someone take? Sure. So, I mean, obviously there's multiple online resources that can help people learn. Um, we're a huge fan of World Relief. And if you go to worldrelief.org, you can learn a tremendous amount about refugee relocation. Uh, one of their sister sites is called We Welcome uh, Refugees. And so there's online resources uh, from the Christian perspective, uh, sendrelief.org, uh, Mercy and Compassion Arm of the North American Mission Board. They're producing resources and videos to help people better understand. And so uh, there is not a lack of knowledge or lack of opportunity to learn. There's a lot of amazing content online. If you're interested for more of a, a, a technical <laughs> you know, understanding, the United Nations High Commission of Refugees uh, has some of the best information and um so there's online learning and videos that you can find on YouTube and Vimeo and others. But what I would say is when you have that chance to meet a refugee for a first time, several things. One, they're a person. You have far more in common with them than you realize. They may speak a different language, come from a different religious background, but some of the central hopes and aspirations that they have are identical to what you have. Two, refugee is not necessarily a badge of honor, you know. Um, it's, it would be very insensitive to say, oh my gosh, you're a refugee. Tell me what circumstances led to you to flee your country. That's a horrible conversation starter. Uh, oftentimes they may not want to talk about it. it. It triggers traumatic memories and you need to respect that and learn their name, <laughs> you know, uh, learn about their family and b- just treat them with dignity and respect and love. And then as you build a relationship, more of their story will, will come out as they feel comfortable sharing with you. But again, just backing up, when you have the opportunity to interact with a refugee for a first time, uh, smile, learn their name, and treat them with dignity and respect. Like you would any, any person. Like right? you would any other person. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Seeking Refuge. If you want to get in contact with us, you can send us an email at seekingrefugepodcast at gmail.com or follow us at refugepodcast on Twitter. A big thanks to Maxi International House for making this show possible and for Pastor Trent Deloach for setting aside time for an interview. Our next episode will be out on March 2nd.